Good morning. You may be seated. Yes, we are praying for the Pano plague and told him, stay home for the love of God. <laughs> I, uh, he called me yesterday afternoon to finalize saying, will you speak tomorrow for me because I'm not feeling well? And so I didn't have time to go through the whole lectionary. So I did, I'm going old school, which means you just talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In this particular text, I want to talk to you about the violence of love. In this text, in Luke 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and uh, he's in a space that, where he's being attacked unjustly and betrayed by people he loved by the nation he loved, by the religious religion he loved. And uh, I, I want to talk about those spaces that we find ourselves in, where we want to retaliate, right, uh, against people because we're in places that we know are not fair and we want it to stop. Um, what Jesus models in, on the cross is just nothing but shocking. Because even though he's in the middle of uh, his being betrayed and in the middle of his being uh, condemned unjustly and crucified mercilessly, he cries out, you know, and you remember that the, he cries out, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? Um, if you remember Jesus earlier in the passion, he says to the people that are doing stuff to him, do you not think that I cannot call my father and he will at one point or at that point give me at my disposal 12 legions of angels? In other words, Jesus had a way out of this and he could have stopped this. And part of our hearts when we read something like go, go for it, Jesus. You know, why don't you stop this? It's just so unjust. It's so unfair. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he cries that, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I, I, because they don't know what they do or what they're doing. I, I would argue with Jesus. I kind of think they know what they're doing. I mean, they have incited the crowds. They're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. The soldiers are actively obeying and beating him and putting crowns on his head and pounding him and spitting in his face and pulling out his beard. It seems like they know what they're doing. And yet he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Um, notice that Jesus doesn't say to the people there, I forgive you. He says instead, Father, forgive them. Now, I don't know what this really means, but I do think that when you're in times of trauma, sometimes the idea of forgiving is just beyond you. But where it starts is thinking about what God is doing. It's becoming conscious of God. There's something about God that's big enough to handle trauma. There's something about God that's big enough to handle evil. And so Jesus, becoming conscious of God, says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. He goes beyond himself. And he goes beyond others. And he goes directly to the heart of God. 
I think one significant insight that we can gain from that, and I think Jesus carries while he's on the cross, is found in Ephesians chapter 6. And this is Paul saying, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes in the world, which stands for evil. And then he makes this pretty amazing statement. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, the places in our life that's painful in our relational aspects are struggling. It's not against people, even though it feels very much like people. But our struggle is not against people, but against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What Paul is suggesting to us is that um, people that we bump into that are cruel, traumatizing, evil, are not always just acting alone. They're forces that they are under. And we are to learn that we're not struggling against people so that we release reactions of hatred or threats or whatever against them, but that we recognize that there's something else beyond them. It's okay for us to hate the evil. It's just we're not supposed to hate evil people. And because that's very difficult for us, we know that, that we need to call on God. God, forgive them. God, help here because what's going on is beyond them and is beyond me. Jesus taps into this, I think, in Matthew chapter 5 in his famous, uh, after he does the Beatitudes, he makes this statement about how we relate to each other. And he's talking about how we offend each other. He said at one point, offenses come. So as long as you work with people, you're gonna get upset because they're gonna do something that upsets you. Offenses will come. One guy said it so well, the better I get to know some people, the more I like my dog. <laughs> people are hard to get close to. People you work with, people you live with, people you grew up with, are oftentimes difficult to get along with. And so Jesus, in talking about this dimension of ick that happens, evil that comes between people, makes this statement. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And there's something in all of us that kind of thinks, yeah, I mean, that seems fair. If you knock out my tooth, come here. I'll knock out yours. If you pluck out my eye, okay, that, I don't like that, but come here. You know, I get to get this paid back. I get to address those so that there's some sense of fairness. Now, actually, even though this sounds really cruel in our kind of religious Christian um, Western thinking, it sounds cruel, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's actually a balancing thing that was present in the ancient world because most of us understand when somebody knocks out an eye or knocks out a tooth, we don't want to just take out their eye. We want to cut off their head. We don't want to just, if you knock out my tooth, I don't want to knock out your tooth. I want to knock out your teeth and break a couple of your bones. It's always ratcheting up because I can't believe you dared to hurt me. And it, the violence escalates. Well, Jesus, I mean, in the Old Covenant, what, or the First Testament, what happens is say, look, it, we, we want there to be reciprocity, but it has to be balanced. It can't be an escalating thing. But Jesus, in this text, not, throws that out. 
and says, this isn't about you reacting in kind. He says, you've heard it said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now he doesn't say don't resist evil. He says, don't resist an evil person. In other words, don't let evil become personified in a person because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. There's something else going on. He said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, he says, turn to them the other cheek. There's a number of ways you can read that, but one certainly is saying, when you get stung by somebody's action, don't just respond from that sting. Don't respond from that unwholeness. Don't respond from that hurt, respond from another place. And then he begins to talk about this. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them your coat also. <laughs> it sounds like he's sort of setting us up to get abused in the world, right? He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So give to the one who asks you, do not, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What's going on here? I don't think that Jesus is just talking about ethics here, even though they're ethical implications. I don't think Jesus was saying, no, you just need to do it because you're nobodies and you need to just, you know, just be dragged along and be little mealy mouth people and let people do what they want to do to you. I, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is that we can be in a world of great pain and a world of great evil and that when people hit on us, we have another place to look. We don't have to just respond from our pain. We have God. And there's a way in which because we're connected with God that we're stronger and have ability and have assets that maybe we didn't have if we weren't connected with God. So in a way what he's saying is if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the cheek, your other cheek is because you know the healer. There's a way in which you don't have to just, this isn't all you got. He says and if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your cloak as well. Why? Because you know the provider. You don't just have to react based on what you see. You're not just alone. You're not just by yourself with your own strengths. There's something afforded you from another dimension you can turn your face toward. If anyone forces to go one mile, forces you to go one mile, then go with them two miles. Why? Not because it's a new ethic or that you just need to do it, but because you know the strengthener. There's some way that strength is there for people that don't have strength. And if someone asks you uh, and do, uh, to give to them, do not turn from them, from who, the one who wants to borrow from you. Why? Because you know the provider. There's a way in which Jesus is trying to set up our imagination to think we're not alone in the world and that we're advantaged because we're connected to God. Which a, 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 a kind of a strange way to saying this is you can put up with people because you can afford their abuse. Which is a strange thing to say, but I, let me put it in real plain terms. I, there was, um, as a parent, the reason you can afford the abuse your kids give to you is because you're a parent. You are the parent they are not. <laughs> they are the children. I remember when, uh, this is a little story, but I only have a few of them. Um, 
one life. But uh, I, I used to, our, one of our favorite restaurants in this little town, the first town I pastored in was called, it was a Perkins restaurant. I don't know if any of you ever heard of Perkins. It's okay. So it was, it was a small town. So it was one of the, you know, one of the best places out of the t- three places you go to. Uh, we went there quite a bit and they had just a wonderful salad this little pre-dinner salad kind of thing. And they had, it, they had delicious, I mean, really nice Thousand Island and French combo thing that I used to put on my salad. And I put that on my salad and then they had really crunchy, tasty croutons. And they were my friends. <laughs> and so I would get those and I have these, these, these four little kids. And uh, after I got my salad and got it all perfect, got it cut up, those little croutons were so tasty, uh, I would turn my head or something and then out of the corner of my eye, I'd see those little fingers <laughs> reaching to get my croutons. And you know, I was very annoying. You know? So I go, what are you doing? Get your hands out of my croutons. You know, get, get the, these are my croutons, right? And, and I'd do it again and they'd do it again. Those little sneaks would, those little ingrates would sneak my my. Uh, uh, croutons off of my salad. And in my mind, again, I'm, I'm not angry, but very annoyed. I mean, I could almost imagine taking the fork and waiting till the little hand comes and just stabbing it into the little chubby little hand. I said, don't touch my croutons. So, so what kept me from doing that besides the threat of jail? <laughs> I am the parent. They're the child. I am the parent. They're the child. I can afford this. This is something of what Jesus is saying in this text. We're in a world full of evil people and we don't have to react to them. Why? Because they may be influenced by evil, but we're influenced by good. We can turn the other cheek when we've been hurt because I'm the healed. They don't know of that. They can take from us because we know the provider. They do not. We are the believers. They are not. And in some way, what Jesus is setting us up to understand is we set new rules because we're a new kind of people. This kind of people that learn to walk in a radical kind of love and relate to people differently than we did when we were outside of Christ, right? So the text goes on in Matthew chapter five. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. (laughs) It sounds right, doesn't it? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, I tell you, love your enemies. Enemies. Is there anybody in your world right now that's an enemy status for you? Somebody that just makes you crazy. Might be your sister, right? Or an uncle. Might be a person that's working with you that always takes credit for the work you do might be a neighbor. I mean, I don't know, but whoever's on an enemy status for you, the call is to love them and to pray for them. Why? Prayer always breeds intimacy. You pray for people, you can hardly not start loving them. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. That's what God's like. He causes the sunshine to rise, not just on good people, but on evil people and good people. God sends the rain, not just on righteous people, but on unrighteous people. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, yippee-yay-o-kay-yay. I mean, it's no, there's no 
Applause to that. What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. But he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, there's a way what God is, is telling us that we're to walk into the world. And I don't think Jesus is just giving us a new kind of to-do, a new kind of ethic, a new, new kind of uh, order. But I think what he's in bringing us into, what I would suggest to you, is a new kind of violence. Not a violence against people, but a violence against evil that motivates people. So that we can love people knowing that in that loving, God will do something about the evil that's motivating them. In a very real way, loving them. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Jesus is entering into a space where God can transform the ones who are doing the evil. <laughs> Listen to this text. This is out of Romans chapter 12. I think all of us want to impact the people around us that don't act right, including your children. Sometimes it might be someone you dearly love, could be your spouse, could be a partner that you have at work. But what Paul says is he says, listen, bless those who are messing with you. Bless those who are persecuting you. Bless and do not curse. Again, you get slapped, don't respond out of this pain. Bless, don't cuss at them. It's so easy too. You're cussed at, you cuss back. You're being mean to, you're mean back. What if the very essence of Christianity is less about believing and more about living in a kind of way? I mean, it has belief in it. What if the end game is something like being a different kind of people in a world that's still filled with evil? And we live in a kind of way that actually destroys evil, is violent to evil. He says, rejoice with those that rejoice, mourn with those that mourn, live in harmony with one another. And then he says, do not repay evil for evil. In other words, we don't, again, it's that slap on the face. Don't repay evil for evil. You're evil that, don't evil back. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. There's a violent word. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. There's a violent word too. We're talking about revenge. We're talking about wrath, the stuff that we like to get when we're oppressed, that we like to get when things are not fair, that we like to dish out when things are not appropriate. But instead of us doing it, he says, get God's violence involved. Violence against what? Against what? He says, it is mine, God says, to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, so God's going to jump in and do some violence, but against what? Who? We find out, and as Paul iterates this, it's not against people at all. That's why we don't have to resist evil people. But God will get involved with violence against evil. He will destroy the evil we encounter when we make room for God. How do you make room for God? Living a radically loving life. 
And so he says it. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, remember what it says to do? Feed him. Which doesn't make sense to me because I think if my enemy is hungry, surely God will use the hunger to show him he shouldn't be my enemy. See how hungry you are? That's because you're stupid and you're my enemy. If you want to not be hungry, you should be my friend. I mean, that makes total sense to me. But God says, if your enemy's hungry, alleviate the thing that I think is the judgment. Help my enemy. Feed my enemy, even though they're evil. If your enemy's thirsty, quench the thirst. Give him something to drink. And listen to what Paul says. In doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Well, that sounds pretty good, <laughs> right? But what the biblical in inference here doesn't mean to hurt them. If you remember that text in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is in the throne of God and he's going, oh, I do not belong here. I am a toad. He said, I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of unclean people. And the scripture says that God sent an angel and the angel picked, uh, grabbed a tong and picked up a coal that was at the altar, a burning coal at the altar and brought it to Isaiah's lips and the lips purged away his evil. See, when we live rightly with people that we don't like or can't stand, we feel they offend and make life unfair. If we want to react like they react, we're just none, no, no different than the pagans. But if we want to begin to act in a way that God can move through to their lives, touch their lives, then we need to know that God will burn away their evil by us acting in a certain kind of way and reflecting on them in certain kind of ways and treating them in certain kind of ways, moving toward them when we want to run from them. He says, in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their heads. And this is what Paul ends it with. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome, overcome is a violent word. But overcome evil with good. See, the dream is, is God wants you to be released in a world where you're conquering evil, not evil people. And the way that we conquer evil is through good. Engaging with people, opening up to people. Yes, some people are zoo people. You know, you, you can only see them if there's good boundaries, right? I mean, I loved lions and tigers and bears, but I wouldn't go to a zoo that didn't have them behind bars. There are some people that you know that are zoo people. It could be your dad, right? It could be a friend. Or it could be an old friend, right? That you, you have to have severe boundaries because they're so caustic and so difficult and so uh, hurtful that you've got to keep boundaries. So there's nothing wrong with keeping boundaries. But after that is said, there still needs to be some way in which, even if it's just praying for your enemies, Father, forgive them. I, I can't deal with the forgiveness thing now. But Father, you forgive them. Get caught in that impulse of a God who loves everyone, even though I don't know why God does, including me, right? Let me show you one more text. This is 1 Peter, 
This kind of brings us all together. First Peter chapter two. And Peter's talking about living in a pagan society, which we kind of do, right? And he talks first of all about slaves, people that, you know, our modern vernacular would be overworked people, unfairly, uh, people that are done, dealt with unfairly, people that are dealt with unjustly. He says, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, uh, I like submitting to them, but he says, but submit also to those who are harsh, unfair, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So remember on the cross, Jesus is conscious of God. Father, forgive them. But if you bear unjust suffering because you're conscious of God, that means you're turning the other cheek. You're looking the other place. You're not just responding to the pain. You're living a different kind of way. You're stepping into a place where you can begin to use the violence of love to conquer the violence of evil. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that's commendable before God. And then listen to this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I don't like this text, but he's basically saying yes. I mean, I want to read, Jesus suffered for you so you don't have to suffer. That's not what he said. He said, Jesus suffered to leave you an example of suffering. What? <laughs> I didn't ask Jesus in my heart to suffer. And yet that's the call to take up our cross and follow him. And then it says about, he begins to iterate what happened to Jesus. He committed no sin. What happened to him was not his fault. It was not the result of sowing and reaping. It wasn't karma. It's was nothing that made what the cross did. To, it, nothing he did initiated that. And no deceit was found in his mouth. But they hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate. See, notice, he's not responding out of pain. When he suffered, he made no threats. You know how it is when you suffer. You keep this up, I'm out of here. <laughs> There's all kind of threats that go on because threat is one of the way we get out of suffering. We little pagans. Jesus said, no, 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 this is a new way of living. When he suffered, he offered no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges rightly. He was conscious of God. What are you doing here, God? He turned the other cheek. He looked the other direction. He looked to God. And then it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. In other words, he just, he let it hit him. He bore it instead of resisting it. He let it hit him on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. What is he saying? He's saying he absorbed the evil so that the evil would lose its power in us. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
(laughs) This is a terrible idea, but let me tell you it. What if God is sending you into the world because he wants to change the world? What if God intentionally made you the way that you are? I mean, you may not think you're, you may think you're junk, but God doesn't think you're junk. You may not be stick out wonderful, stick out beautiful, stick out amazingly intelligent, but what if God made you just the way you are to fit in places other people can fit? Right? I, 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 got, I traded in a car years ago, um, and it was in the day of old cassette tapes. And Lissa, my daughter Lissa, the, um, Father Paul's wife, um, was little. She was about eight years old. And I was reaching my hand under the, the, the front seat of the car, and it was real low to the ground. It was a little compact car. Real low to the ground, the seat was low to the, the, to the floor of the car. And as I was reaching in, it was scratching you know, my arm, because my arm is too fat. So I'm reaching in, I'm about ready, I'm kind of committing suicide in a way. You know, I'm reaching in there, scratching on me, and I keep reaching for it. And every time I got to the tape that was in there, I was trying to get, it would do, you know, I'd touch it and it'd go, whoop, <laughs> you know, it kept leaving me. And Lissa's watching this. She's standing right next to me, I'm, I'm down under the car, in the front of the car, and, down, and Lissa said, Dad. I said, what? Dad, what? Dad, what? And I sat up, what? And she goes, And I kid you not, I heard, I don't know the Holy Spirit or what this was, but I heard in my heart, little fits where big does it. And that God is very intentional about how little he made you. He's the God of the great and the small. And if you think you're very small and don't have that much of anything going on, that doesn't mean God wasn't intentional with you. In fact, in a way, it might say it's a great miracle that you're. How does God, who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-gifted, how does God, who is perfect musically, create someone who can't sing? It's a miracle. How does the God of all intelligence make someone who doesn't get math? It's a miracle. See, what if... You being less is really the greatest miracle of all than if he just made you great. What if great is easy for God and small is hard? Hmm? And what if God made you small to fit you in places to reach people no one else can reach? And what if the way he wants you to reach them is not by giving them a tract? It might involve that, but not, that's not the problem. What if the way he wants to reach you or reach them through you is not by you arguing with them about truth? What if the way he wants you to reach them is by you putting up with their stupid and loving them even when they're stupid and being able to get slapped by them and simply turn the other cheek? And they say, well, I want this, and you give it to them because you know God. Not because you don't have any sense of worth, but because you know the healer, know the power. You know God Almighty and you know you have legions of angels at your beck and call. What if God is calling you to actually be that kind of person in the world? I'm suggesting to you that that's closer to what Christianity is than anything else we do. Is our call to be loving radically and violently against evil in the lives of other people. So that by the stripes we receive from them, God can heal them lovingly. We overcome their evil with 
good. When they're hungry, we don't just say, ha, you idiot, you shouldn't hate me and shouldn't be acting like that. No, but we feed them. We engage with them. We radically love them. One last story, I'll shut up. Gal's name is Kathy. She was one of the gals in our church. First church I pastored in Wisconsin. And uh, I met this lady in the church. Church was about 600 people. And I met this lady in the church. I didn't know who she was. I came up to her, I'm talking to her. And I said, how did you end up here? And we were on television in the little town and all this. I was kind of hoping she'd say, well, I saw you on TV. <laughs> or, you know, I heard that you were a good talker. I mean, I was hoping I had something to do with it. And I had nothing to do with it. Why she came to the church. I said, well, how'd you get here? She said, well, you know, Kathy. I knew Kathy, a wonderful lady. She was a nurse at the hospital. And she said, well, there's a nurse that every one of us do not like. She's terrible. And every month when they do the schedule, everyone steers from her, tries to get on somebody else's team because they just, she's so mean, sort of toxic, caustic, and we all kind of avoid her. So we'll get dragged onto the team at the last minute, you know, if we can't get placed somewhere else. She said, but I noticed Kathy was on her team every month. And so I finally came to her and I said, Kathy, because Kathy's such a wonderful person. She said, how come you always end up on so-and-so's team? She goes, ah, she says, she said, are you good friends? She says, no, 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 we're not friends at all. And she said, well, don't you think she's kind of mean? Yeah, she's, she's kind of mean. Well, why, why do you jump on her team then? She says, ah, oh, I think it's a great way for me to just be present and to love her. She goes, what? She said, where are you getting that from? And she said, well, she said, I, I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I feel like God wants me to be generous and kind and love her and be engaged with people that are hard to be engaged with, to move toward people that are difficult. Huh. What if God wants you to move toward people who are difficult? What if God's looking for, you know, sort of special forces of people that he can send to save people that are so, so difficult? And so she, when he told her, she told her that, she said, where do you go to church? And she said, our church. So she started coming to our church. <laughs> what if that's ministry? Being a kind of light in the world. The song we sang has about love, hope for the hopeless, light in the darkness, being a people of love. Amen.